0: Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow listeners, and welcome to 15 of Can I Pick Your Brain? Today, I am privileged to be picking the brain of Manny Hoffman. Manny is the CEO of Ptex Group an award-winning marketing agency and Inc. 5000 company doing over $5 million in revenue. Manny is also the creator of Let's Talk Business, an email series containing effective expansion strategies that goes out to over 15,000 subscribers. Manny is also the founder of of the LTB Summit, an annual business event that combines inspiring speakers, networking, interactive programs, and investment opportunities. Manny is also a best-selling author, public speaker, and angel investor. Manny, welcome to the show, and thanks for letting me pick your brain.
1: Glad to be with you today.
0: You are one accomplished individual. (laughs) We're still middle of the ladder, so we're still accomplishing. Let me rephrase that. You are one humble, accomplished individual. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I, I noticed that on your LinkedIn bio, you mentioned that you are a lifelong entrepreneur. Where did it all begin?
1: Well, you know, it took me time to realize that that's the case, so to speak. It all started when I was actually between 12 and 13 years old, when computers were just starting to become a household uh, item. And while my friends, all of them, were trying to get the, ni- the, the newest car games and playing races on the computer, I started mm-hmm. creating uh, you know, graphics and, and making my own business card. So basically, my first business card I had when I was 12 years old, which I have next to me.
0: Very cool. Very cool. And you now run a successful marketing agency called the PTEX Group. Now, there are tons of marketing agencies out there. How are you different?
1: So first of all, our company is a marketing and business service agency. What we saw with a lot, obviously, we're in business now for close to 16 years. And um, mm-hmm. what we saw as that we've you know, entered this, this marketplace, so to speak, as people are more and more Looking to focus on doing their business and basically doing what they're best at and they they don't want to learn all these nuances and in particular in marketing and so on and so forth, which is now something that's changing almost on a daily basis. So while most traditional marketing agencies will have their niche, the niche could be uh, um, branding only marketing, a certain community, or even um, offline versus online, digital, and so on and so forth, we have have carved our niche, which is we're a full-fledged 360 marketing agency. What we call by that, we have four divisions where we focus on strategic branding and marketing. We have the in-house design and print where we focus on day-to-day design work and printing. We have a call center where we pick up phones for companies when we run campaigns, and we have a web development team. So what that allows us to do is when a client comes to us, either they're still looking for the individual services or they're looking strategically, I need to grow my company. I need to grow, I need to launch this product line. And we could bring in people from the different divisions, so to speak, and basically handhold the person from strategy to execution with a 360, including offline, digital, and so on, and so and some of the the rest of the stuff that needs to be done for effective campaign. So that's Mm -hmm. really what sets us apart today, where we have that mix of services. So we're able to not just do a great branding project and let the person go and then find, you know, so many times you find the inconsistency as it it rolls out a campaign or a brand and so on and so forth. We're able to handhold the person and deliver those most of the services in-house.
0: But what about focusing on one thing and becoming great at that one thing?
1: Great question. We've been asked that question throughout the years, a lot of times. So why shouldn't I go to the best in, in on each division? Um, mm-hmm. I like to say, you know, um, if you're familiar in the States, there's, you know, the once upon a time we were used to going to the meat market separately, we're going to the fruit fruit market uh, the, mm-hmm. um, separately and so on and so forth. Today, if you're familiar with Whole Foods and the brands like that, where they were able to bring in the best of each product line within one infrastructure, that means how do they do it? So Instead of, once upon a time, why people didn't like shopping in the supermarket for Fruits is because the fruits were just an extension to the product line, and they were just put into without any a lot of uh, care and um, and and support to that product line. So they were usually they were low quality products. Mm -hmm. Today, with Whole Foods model, and then there's a lot of other supermarkets copying around the world, which they have a produce department. Which a produce department means they have a separate management, separate people overseeing that department, and therefore Mm -hmm. you could have the best produce in the supermarket. So. By us, we have very, very much the similar model, which every division by us has a separate teams, separate leaders, and so on and so forth. So each division focuses on making their their services the best out there. So we are able to say not only do we have the best on those different services, but for the consumer, think about that: the customer is coming, uh, he needs to launch a product, and there's so much logistic on his side. La- last thing he wants to do is run bits and pieces and then be the middleman between the branding agency and the web development team. The web development team and the printing agency, they want to Mm -hmm. be able to have a company that's serviced them from A through Z and obviously does a quality product. You know, obviously the the results is in the product.
0: Now, most people have a hard time building one company. How do you manage focusing on growing all your companies, in other words, all your different divisions are in different markets. How do you how do you focus on on growing them?
1: Yeah, So great question. You know, an intro to that is, first of all, with all fairness and full full transparency is I'm still figuring that out. And every (laughs) every entrepreneur, anybody will tell you that in certain middle of building his company that he figured everything out is just a flat out lying. And we all figure this out as we go along. But I will tell you a couple of things that I've seen now, maybe not seen in the past, but definitely what I learned along the way is a couple of things. First of all, is that you could do it. You have to be, you have to be able to feel that your core products is have the right team and have the right focus. And then you are able, as a CEO of a company, that's what you're hired to do you are hired to have great people running the day-to-day operations and the CEO is hired to focus on the vision of the company and look where we could expand our services and so on and so forth so that's basically my job my job for my team members and my responsibility for all my team members is focus on building the company as a whole and that's sometimes it's strengthening divisions within the company and sometimes it's the it's the the work of the CEO to expand the services so that's that's uh, something that um, It's something that I think it's important you focus on. So the first thing is what I will tell your listeners is you have to make sure that you have good team members already on the stuff you have built. Otherwise, you're basically losing focus. And what's happening is you're basically dismantling what you already built. But once you have that, you're able to grow. Now, from a a productivity perspective is everybody starts off with the same amount of hours exactly like the president of the united states meaning to say nobody has advantage of having more hours than somebody else and you could run a full the world or the country from the same amount of hours and obviously you could run your own company with those amount of hours so it comes down to a productivity standpoint where let me take my hours that i have how could i best make the use of my time and i've been working on this very very you know on a a, you know i'm basically very much gatekeeping my hours and planning my day and we could go into more details if if time allows how i do it and making sure that all of those divisions and all of those services and anything else gets the right amount of time in those you know the amount of hours that i have
0: mm. yeah i'd love to discuss that but before i do how many staff do you currently employ at we, the moment
1: we have 30 plus in house and and, okay. and then we have a bunch of freelancers and people that work for us on project-based or on a long-term freelance basis. But I like to say my core team is the 30-plus in-house.
0: So finding and keeping great people is, is very hard. I mean, how do you manage to keep them motivated and loyal?
1: Sure. So, you know, if you know me for a while uh, or people that follow my Let's Talk Business articles, I, I, I constantly speak about culture. I think culture is something that a CEO is is duty is to basically work on making sure that environment is a very healthy environment and by saying that is people confuse culture with fun. Uh, culture doesn't mean fun. Fun is part of a culture, but mm. when you work and you get paid, and you have clients, um, businesses on the line, sometimes it's really hard work, and it's serious stuff. So it's not only about fun. Culture means that you have a culture where people feel recognized, people feel that they have a voice, and people feel that, that everybody is working together, meaning to say, it's not something that, you know, I'm better than you are, you are better than me, the company without me can't survive, and with you, it could survive, and so on and so forth. So it's always the responsibility of the CEO, which we bring this together. Just, you know, I mentioned to you that we have this, uh, We on Monday mornings, we have a huddle, which means mm-hmm. Ten o'clock, we have a huddle where the company huddles together, so to speak, and we basically, in fifteen minutes, quickly go over the successes of last week. Anything that needs, um, you know, any any what we're going to be working this week and Mm -hmm. acknowledge certain high fives as we call it for people that went above and beyond in delivering something or did something above and beyond for the company so what that stuff like that you know how to like that what it does is it aligns people so first of all it aligns them to 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 know what's going on and transparency most of the companies I feel where does not have a good culture it starts off with a lack of transparency meaning people feel robotic what they do so they don't know what kind of effect that project has if i'm if i'm going to do a good job what kind of effect does it have so let's say we could have it a lot of times you know you have this uh you know, very basic, not exciting project of a client, and mm-hmm. some, you know, usually the the team member. Let's say in our in in our space, we're creative. They're not so excited about it, and they might not. They might sound like that. But if you tell the client, if you tell your employee, let me tell you why this project is important to us. Maybe for cash flow purposes, or maybe this we're going after the bigger project of this client. This is our foot in the door, so to speak. Right. and then you give them their transparency all of a sudden things change the the you know the the everything in in their attitude and and they and they they're willing to please and so on and so forth all of those things change so as much as as we always as CEOs we always have to know that every you know at any time an employee could feel for one one reason or the other that he's moving on which is fine but as long as they're here you want to keep them happy to so be able to have the best relationship and also what if if you spend so many hours in the office why not have a good time you know why not have a pleasant environment and that's that's on the business side of things and we always you know we mentioned a minute before the huddle we start the first thing in the huddle is a positive vibe i always try to enforce okay tell me something positive and doesn't have to be business related you know if after the weekend i'll ask them anything anything positive happened yesterday sunday or over the weekend and this just gives them a, an atmosphere of of excitement and pleasant a pleasant experience and a pleasant environment to work with and, and usually those things really go a long way
0: Mm. And it shows that you care obviously about them and not just about the bottom line in the company
1: absolutely. I always say that um, happy employees make happy customers, happy customers make happy shareholders. It doesn't go <laughs> any other way
0: right, going back to what you mentioned before about having the amount of time that you have in the day and you wanted to to give over some you know productivity tips. Can you share some of those with our listeners? how do we how do you become more productive with the time that we have in our day? Sure, so the
1: first thing is uh, that people have you know there's a myth out there that the calendar is made when two people have to schedule a meeting a calendar means when when one person internally and one person external needs to need to schedule a meeting so usually one of the two uh, create a calendar event and they they and they invite themselves i i use the calendar for every single thing i need to do obviously not every five minute type of fire but but anything that's that's a task or something that I need to focus time, I plan it into my calendar. So I could use this for my own scheduling. So let's say I need to go over an amount of reports and I need to have focused time and that will take me half an hour. That will be in my calendar to do. Otherwise, you don't get to do it with with focused time. So the same thing that you would focus time on a meeting and schedule an hour or half an hour with the external person, if you have responsibilities and things that you have to do as a CEO or as a leader or whatever position you have, make sure that you also block out time for the things that are important to to be productive. That's the first uh, thing. Right. The sec- second thing is, which I feel a lot of CEOs don't do, or leaders or managers, whatever. And anybody that's related, that has two types of tasks, multitasking, multitasking. Obviously, multitasking is a myth. There's no such thing as multitasking. I always love when people write on their resumes or people put job descriptions. I'm looking for somebody that could multitask. <laughs> it's really a, a myth because you can't do two things at one shot. What you could do is you could be a quick transformer, meaning you could go from one task to the other. But if right. you really want to be productive, you can't multitask. But basically what we call a dual, let's say a CEO has a dual responsibility. They have a responsibility on day-to-day, meaning to say it might not be the, the basic stuff in the company, but they still have meetings to attend. They have clients to, 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 to nurture. They have employees to have conversations with. They have certain decisions to be made and so on and so forth. So those are day-to-days. Even if you're CEO, you still are briefed on those conversations. So you need to act on them immediately. And then there is the, the vision and the bigger picture, which... Where do I need to? Where do we want the company to be in, in, in a year from now? In six months from now? What are the quarterly goals and so on and so forth? Mm-hmm. I have seen a lot of comp- a lot of CEOs and managers and leaders, entrepreneurs, that they mix them the two of them together. Meaning to say, they'll work today to focus on, on, on what they need to, you know, let's call it the fires or the immediate work. And maybe at night, what keep them up is to see how can we focus on, on building the company. But ultimately, right. you're not le- letting enough time to really plan out your goals and plan out all the steps of the goals. What I've seen working for me is I have a few hours every single day that's blocked out for priorities. I call it Big wins, priorities, which mm-hmm. those are the stuff that I'm only working on bigger picture stuff that needs my attention. And if I'm going to spend the right amount of time, other people will have enough stuff to go do it, so to speak. And right. th- those are the hours that I spend, which is mostly not on immediate needs, more of the long term and um, what the company will need from me for long term. And then you leave out the rest of the. Then you, you you do the rest of the the day. You spend anything else that the company will need from you. And what that's I've done. To to me and to us is giving us a platform where we could constantly focus on those two zones so to speak we have the immediate zone and then we have the long-term zone which we focus on the bigger things and myself I created goals for myself which is every month I have my big win I means that's mm-hmm. that big thing that I accomplished and then right. there is mini wins smaller stuff that I was able to to execute
0: throughout the month right right very cool. What would you say are the best marketing tactics for small businesses and startups who don't have a big budget? So
1: I think nurturing people, the low-hanging fruits are always your existing clients. Now, given that you're offering a good service and a good product for your clients, uh, because we always say marketing has to be backed by a product, but if the product is there, the service is there, then I would say the best thing and the most, the most looked-away uh, type of marketing these referral programs and stuff that you could do with your existing database. Meaning I can't, I can't tell you enough how many people just never picked up a phone to a happy customer asking them what else they would need in the pipeline, what else is coming up, and that alone is low-hanging fruit. Or the next level of that would be if you were happy, maybe you have somebody within you know, your circles that you, rec- you could recommend our services, and that would be a referral program, which some people say, yeah, I do it, but they don't have it consistent. Meaning they don't do it consistently, they don't have a system at which point do I reach out to my client and ask him asking him for a referral or I don't have a goal. How many referrals do I want to bring into my pipeline on a weekly, on a monthly basis? So that's relatively cheap. Basically, no money involved. Once in a while, you want to you know, you give something for somebody that referred a friend I refer a customer. But ultimately, that's something that people are always focusing on, on the next big thing, my next social media, my this and that and the other. Mm. But they, they basically ignore the basic stuff that you could do for very cheap.
0: The truth is, is I find that I think a lot of people are scared to ask for referrals because ultimately you've got a client they're happy they're paying you for a service like why should you ask them for something more you know i feel like people are scared to ask their clients to give them referrals
1: so so it's basically very similar to a, cu- a couple of months ago i i spoke to one of our clients who is in the fur- furniture business and i asked mm-hmm. them could you you know Maybe we create a cust because we want to make sure that we have great customer service. And I know on the, by the sale, you are controlling it. But ultimately, when it comes to the delivery, you're basically sending off some of your drivers with the furniture. Hmm. Maybe we create a program where like two days after the, the delivery, you'll be calling out, you're calling up those people and asking them for how the delivery was. And he says, right guess what, if I will call them, 50% or 60% will always have something to say, and usually something is <laughs> a small thing. I said, guess what, if they have something good to say, hear it from them. If they have something bad from them, hear, hear it even louder, because you don't want they just, if, the, if you don't give them the platform, they'll basically uh, tell it to somebody else. You have mm. to give them the platform. So having said that, what I mean with that is that, meaning say, if you're ha- if you feel that you did the right thing, most of the people that are scared about that is because they're not confident in their product or services, or maybe they- if the customer is happy or not. So they leave 100%. it neutral. If you know that you have a relationship with this client because you deliver them a quality product or service, you have that relationship. Business is all about relationships, meaning to say it's not only about the actual product or services. That's the chain, the length of the chain, where you deliver that, and this is how I keep my relationship with you. But ultimately, you have to build a relationship. And if you have, a, if you build a relationship, you should be able to ask that referral. And guess what? You could do it most very creative ways. If the customer that you don't have that very close relationship have a nice email that you could send out. If it's a high tier client, which you do have the relationship, ask him. Look, we're looking to get clients in uh, very similar to you. We're focused on, uh, now in this niche. Who would you recommend one or two people? And guess what? The worst thing people have a fear of. People, uh, the person will say, "No, I don't have." Guess what? So mm-hmm. be it. You tried, okay. and he said no. But ultimately, what I will tell you, I had in the past a few years ago i sent a, i asked exactly one of our clients that i know you have a good circle of of friends and i asked him for a referral and he said like two days later, he calls me up. Many, I think I have somebody. I'm going to make an introduction. And that client, we we basically got that client. And actually, what I did is just for appreciation, I took a check from company, nothing fancy, and I, I it was an amount a commission structure check. I, I wrote out a check and I sent it with a with a handwritten thank you note for referring me to this business. Mm-hmm. He called me up and it says, "Many, are you serious? I didn't do it for the <laughs> check. I did it because we're friends, and I, I appreciate <laughs> you do you do." But I told him, "Look, I know." You didn't do it for the check because I didn't tell you beforehand about it. But I want to show you appreciation. Guess what? He cashed the check and sent me some other clients since.
0: So, wow.
1: so that means is <laughs> you always have to know who you're playing with, and sometimes you need to show an incentive for it. Sometimes that person, the incentive will, you know, will will, will actually close the door of referrals because he does he, he feels that you know now it's it's a biased type of approach. But ultimately, mm-hmm. what I'm saying with that is that those are low-hanging fruits. and. I will tell you.
0: Sure, go ahead. Yeah. Now I was going to say, other than referrals, because we, you know, a lot of people have heard about the, getting referrals, and I think most of it's just a fit, getting over the fear of getting referrals. What other methods are there to getting more leads, to generating more leads for a business that doesn't have a big budget?
1: Sure. So, 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 I will tell you about how you approach marketing, especially today, day, and age where new marketing tactics, you know, come up every day. Let's mm-hmm. talk about social media, okay? Uh, not to be a pro, um, um, you know, uh, against or for social media. But companies, we know that companies have spent millions upon millions. I'm talking about small business owners, people that have such a small budget because they heard about social media. Now they're looking out there, all kinds of websites, all kinds of companies who could help them build out social media. Right. Okay. Now, not to mock social media because social media has a great place in the marketing space. But once, once it's identified, but why is that? Because people are looking for the tool versus the tactic less strategy and they are running for the tools. Meaning to say every business owner has to identify, okay, who is my market? First of all, what is my USP? You know, what is my unique selling point? You know, a, a couple of weeks ago I met with a client and I the first thing he in is telling me that he needs to do marketing, blah blah blah. And I asked him, okay, what is your USP? He says, no, we stopped shipping UPS. I'm shipping FedEx. I said <laughs> so so I tell him, no, no, USB stands for unique selling point. I like to share. <laughs> and what he said afterwards is even more astonishing. So he basically tells me, we don't have a USB. We're like anybody else out there. It says, wait a minute. No, I'm going to give you five minutes. Stop, stop. Think it over. Tell me a story, why you what you did to go above and beyond to please a customer that you feel anybody else would not be able to do. Mm-hmm. And little by little, I basically developed a USP with that person, just in sitting with that person. And the importance right. of that is because that's your ground. You always know your USP. Why? The USP will help you on two two sides. It will help you on sales because that's basically unique selling point. And if you don't if you don't identify unique selling point, when a person has to start going after clients, it goes after the whole world because everybody could be my customer. Once mm-hmm. you identify a unique selling point, you can start targeting, okay, who could benefit from that unique selling point? So, so then all of a sudden the world gets smaller and you could zoom in and focus on the sales side. And the same thing happens with the marketing side. So I always say, once you identify that, who is your target market? Who is the, you know, your client avatar? Who is that typical persona of a client? And then let's figure out where could we find those people? Now, if those people are found on social media then by all means, we're going to create a strategy for social media and build out social media campaigns, free and paid. If those clients are CEOs where we need to focus on getting them a piece of mail in their office, in the UPS, you know, a piece of mail, then be it. If I need to get get brand awareness, then we believe in multimedia campaigns where we need to go all out on, on video, viral videos, billboards, whatever it is. So you always have to focus first on strategy, and tactics and then you go about tools versus uh, you know versus the uh, versus the other way around now ask me which are the mediums that could be least expensive that's going to depend on what is my strategy who do i need to target what is the best way to target those people on a level where it costs me le- the, you know it co- costs me less now and then the same thing is the next thing when it comes is once you identify that start doing something and basically master one way of marketing to see if it's working or not. And, mm-hmm. and then if it's working, continue. If it's not working, drop it. You're not gonna find at the first shot, you're gonna find the first, the first type of medium that works for you 100%.
0: But of all your clients at the moment, what would you say is the, most, the best marketing strategy that you're using at the moment?
1: I wouldn't be able to answer that in a one-off one, one sentence. Uh, I would say that the clients that have the best customer service and they, wowed, you know, they have a wow experience Okay. those they use that to their advantage again and again and again, so right. if you want to see something that people that it's worthwhile investing, you invest in the infrastructure that you have you have that you have that infrastructure of a great customer experience on the marketing side, I believe that having a consistent marketing message. Uh, across no matter what platform you're using that's right. something That's something that I've seen working for companies very very successful meaning to say building out a consistent message with the USB your brand voice and tone and so on and so forth and then slowly but surely start different marketing methods of getting the word out but ultimately it's important that you have the branding in place first because what's happening is sometimes people spend marketing dollars on marketing but it goes to waste because there's no brand consistency behind it so ultimately losing out
0: right another thing that people struggle with is getting email subscribers you know people to subscribe to their email you've managed to attract 15,000 subscribers you know how long did it take you and how did you attract that many subscribers to your email list
1: so okay yeah to be honest with you it's close, it's close to 20,000 at this point even, even, even better yeah <laughs> better. so so the thing is like this, email marketing is very similar to any other um, marketing tech um, solutions or tactics or strategies that you're going to be doing. It really depends. I could speak a couple of minutes if your time allows on email marketing. It's two things. It's getting people on your list is, is basically easy. If you go, if you do a Google search, how to build my list, you're going to get mm-hmm. thousands of products from $9.99 or maybe $7 today or even uh-huh. $1 trial for 30 days up to thousands of dollars of, of people coaching and, and teaching people on um, getting people on your list. Ultimately I believe is it's it's about showing value and giving value in your email marketing. And what's also there's a huge shift happening. So in my particular case, what we do is ninety percent I would say even I would be you know, I would even be able to say more than ninety percent, ninety five percent, but to be to be um To be fair, I'll say 90% of my emails that I send out for business advice has nothing to do with the actual services we offer. And the reason for that is very deliberately because we want to share business advice from our experience, stuff that I learned, stuff stuff that I, I see happening in the marketplace and give you that advice. In return, what's going to happen is if you're going to need paid advice, so to speak, chances are you're going to turn to us and say, you know what, I've seen this from you. Could you help me implement this? Could you help me, you know, above and beyond what you just uh, sent us via email? So the information has to be straightforward, giving, be Give it first before you take, so to speak. Be a giver. Give as much as you could. If you have knowledge, if you have experience, if you have stuff that you could do, do it. And this could be in every, you know, obviously in the business and marketing uh, space, it's a little bit easier. But ultimately, it could be in every single um, space. You could, let's say you say pack, you 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 sell packaging supplies. You could send out emails where you educate people how they can save money, how there's a new product, how you could do certain things in the industry, which more green friendly, whatever it is. Give them advice and then all of a sudden they're going to be start seeing you as the expert in the industry and therefore they'll be able to, it's going to come back to and, and, and buy from you. But to answer your question, once you start giving your um, good advice for people, ultimately it has that viral effect. Like I've had emails. That I have sent out to certain business owners, and they forwarded to all the company members. And sometimes I had in the past, just um, I would say two months ago, I had a business owner send me 20 email addresses of his team members. I want to subscribe all of those 20 to your emails wow. because I want they should wow. get it. Okay, so so it's stuff like that. We do webinars, we do different events that we do. Uh, you mentioned before the LTB Summit. We do all those education and every all of those things basically are magnets for people to join the mailing list because they want to hear what information are you sharing with me. And that's all, all right. long before you want them as clients, long before you want they should pay a cent in doing business with you. You have to be the giver first.
0: Getting to the LTV Summit, you've had some of the most influential speakers at your events, including people like Brian Scudamore, the CEO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, uh, Michael Port, John Jantz, Stephen Lynch, among others. How do you attract them to your events?
1: So uh, one of the things that I I feel has helped me grow my company is in my own actually my own entrepreneur uh, spirit and 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 as a CEO and running a company is I go a lot to conferences I do a lot of networking I'm a lot of uh, I'm part of different mastermind groups that I that I participate. And you always, you know, there's an old saying that if you want to get rich, um, surround yourself with rich people, rich friends. And what I've tried to do throughout the years is go to events. And when I go to an event and I see a, you know, a speaker with, you know, which is a brand name, so to speak, or somebody that has a good experience, you know, a good company behind him, you know, most people listen to the speech and they walk away. I always try to make a connection. You never know when it's going to, when you're going to need it. But I always try to put a face to a name and introduce myself on. On a personal level and then all of a sudden if the speaker would do a good job i might as well reach out to the person via twitter or just via email if i got the email address a day or two later and just send a follow-up nice email thank you how much i appreciate speak the speaking engagement so this and so that throughout the years i've 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 Built a lot of relationship. I have a good rolodex, so to speak, with business experts and 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 speakers. And when we do events, we know our you know we want to bring the best and brightest because that's how you could learn. And none of them, a lot of them, are high paid speakers. Um, We still get them. You know, a lot of them have thirty, forty thousand dollars speaking fees. But obviously, we get them, and because of our relationship, we're able to get them for for significantly lower amounts of money. But obviously, we still pay for most of them because if you have a speaker that you pay. They have the duty and they prepare. We have those Calls intro calls where we prepare each other for the audience and for the type of content and so on and so forth. A lot of people, right. you go to a lot of events. You could see those let's call it the hot hair type of speakers where there yeah. might be brand names that come up and not even aligned with the message of the uh, the theme of the conference and they just w- come up they speak for 45 minutes and they walk away and yeah. and the, basically the people don't even know what happened. You know the audience is sitting there <laughs> thinking what happened over here? Did he give me a me- did he give me a message? Didn't didn't he give me a message? Something I could take away and so on and so forth. So when we right. do events. The, uh, Even every webinar we do, we have that intro call, even sometimes even twice to review, making sure that there's enough takeaway, so to speak, for that event. So people could, you know, we we are very, you know, even if it's a free webinar, people are giving away their hour. People are trusting you that you're bringing them good content. So we have to make sure that we value that and we have respect for the community, so to speak, for the community of LTV. So therefore... We have to make sure that we've had those speakers. And sometimes the only way of making sure that we have good speakers is if we pay. Sometimes we pay premium.
0: You created a platform called Launchpad where businesses can pitch for investments. One of your applicants recently landed a half a million dollar investment. Can you share with our listeners some practical advice on do's and don'ts when pitching for an investment?
1: Sure, so um yes, the launch pad is basically something a track that we do interactive track uh, you know as a staple at the end of our l t b event, the live conferences It's mimicked after the kind of the you know the famous shark tank, which um it has been a very successful show in the u s and around the world, and what we do is we do it for two reasons, first of all
0: we do it no sure. sorry Manny, i i didn't mean why you do it i'm i'm asking what are the dos and don'ts for an entrepreneur who's pitching for an investment what should they what are the things that they should do and the things that they should avoid doing sure. when they're pitching perfect so
1: the the concept of of what are we saw working and what we saw uh, not working so first of all not every idea is a business not every business is an idea meaning to say is people come up every single day with brilliant ideas Great ideas they they think that this is going to be the n- the new Facebook this is going to be the new WhatsApp or this is going to be the new whatever technology out there however is not every idea is a business because sometimes the amount of money and effort is going to take to bring to market and then educate the consumer to buy it and what is your business plan behind it what mm-hmm. how how will you get the return on investment now most investors and just to finish the point is that's why I always tell entrepreneurs, not every idea has to be a business and vice versa. Not every business is an idea. You could have a business that you're not just reinvented the wheel, but you reinvented the process. You have a way how you get your clients. You have a way how to you deliver your service different than anybody else even if it's a commodity product, you could be very successful. So going mm-hmm. back to investments is what I saw in the past is any investor, first of all there's a shift in investment. And once upon a time those were just, you know, uh, VCs, venture capitalists, which they came into a business and saying, Okay, how could I make the most return on my money and the fat quickest way? And therefore they would yep. invest. And if not, they wouldn't invest. Today mm-hmm. there's a huge we call it angel investors. We call it just invent, uh, investors in general. We have a lot of people that have extra money. They have extra capital. They, they've been successful in what they're doing. They have extra money. and They're looking to invest it in other, other businesses. And those people are a little more lenient. Some people are more hands-on. Some people are less hands-on. But everybody that puts this money, if he's a smart investor, will always will look at the following. You as the entrepreneur, what have you done to date before my money gets to your bank account? And once they see that you have created, you have struggled yourself, you have built the business plan to the T, you have your research in place, then they're going to start believing you and saying, okay, now I trust you with my money. I've seen time and time again, a business owner is not ready for an investor. He comes upon, asks for an investor, and the investor turns and says, okay, so basically you take my money to risk everything. You didn't risk anything from your side. And that's Mm -hmm. the first thing. And, And then there is other investors who say, I need a proof of concept. I need... I need to see you have been able to do it with my money. You could multiply whatever you're doing now. So you could do it 2x, 5x, 10x, and so on and so forth. So therefore, I believe. And last but not least, I always see is most investors invest more in the entrepreneur than they actually invest in the business. Meaning to say, if you come across that you're genuine, you believe, and you also are not likely taking somebody else's money, you are a hard worker, you have struggled to get where you are, and you give the impression that if somebody else will give you your money, they could trust you that you're going to spend it only where it's needed. I've seen so many times where, in which the only thing they got to is in order to, I do, did all my work in order to get the investment, but now I have the leverage, I have an investor and i could start splurging like when we meet with clients just on a side note on marketing and i I want to launch this new product i want to launch this new business blah 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 and like the fifth question the sixth question is how are you going to pay for it oh i have an investor and the investor is giving me this money to spend i always say look let's call this investor part of this meeting no he doesn't want to get involved i said believe me i have experience let him sit in let him be part of the conversation of what our plans are. Why? Because I've seen time and time again where somebody will blow an investor's money and then all of a sudden everything blows up in the end because the investor wasn't aware of what, where his money is going on a day-to-day basis. So it's yeah. a very important thing. So, so those are all the don'ts or the do's, whatever you want to call it. But Everything is set and done. If you look back at the investment, the guy that got half a million dollars on the launchpad in the past and has been been up now, he was a two, I think it was a three million dollar company three years ago. He's over hundred million dollars now. Wow! Uh, his company has grown. Um, you know, it's not only because of the half a million dollar investment. It's obviously the market was just ripe for his product and so on and so forth. But everybody at the launchpad at that event that heard him speak. Was if they had the money, they would take it out of their pocket and give it to him. Why? Because he knew his numbers. He knew his upside. He knew his downside. He knew why he's not going to a bank for a loan. He knew why, what will it cost him, where the money will go, and so on and so forth. He was so crystal clear. That's what investors like because he was he, – people – Knew that they could trust him with his money because this guy is not all over the place. He knows exactly where to focus, where my focus will be, how we're we going to get the company, and how you're going to get your money back, or how you're going to make money, money on the money, so to speak.
0: Right. Manny, I know you've got a, a group huddle with your staff in a couple of minutes, so just the last question I wanted to ask you. You wrote an article about setting smart goals for 2016. What are your smart goals for 2016 and how do you plan on, on achieving them?
1: Uh, so, this is an accountability question.
0: oh yeah (laughs) so
1: like I said I I have I have Big wins, so to speak, which is the larger goals, and and then we have the 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 small wins, which is the the smaller stuff that we do on a regular basis. So my goals now are to increase and, and strengthen every single division that we have, and we go we we are doing this one by one in the company and the services we are offering. And then um a newer goals that we have is you mentioned the LTB community. We are building out many many programs that's going to be introduced. Some of them are already already being introduced as we speak. Some of them are still coming in the pipeline, which The LTB community will will be a platform where people will be able to turn to for different types of advice. So be it webinars, be it information, just Mm -hmm. business advice and stuff like that. We're expanding a lot in the educational space for entrepreneurs and business owners. And at the same time, we're also... Increasing on services, which is called a product that we're going to be launching, which is called life cycle marketing, which is basically helping business owners not only do standalone marketing campaign, but rather create a marketing campaign around your life cycle of the clients, which is going to be a offline and online mix. So it's offline and digital, traditional and digital campaigns that we're going to be able to coach you. On, the, on a strategic level and then help you with implementation so instead of just branding and marketing we do on a regular basis we're able to give you that full spectrum of marketing that you could do for your small business owner
0: very cool you many yeah sure how can my listeners get in touch with you?
1: Sure. So I would love social media if they could connect to me directly, which is at mm-hmm. Twitter, at Manny Hoffman, or any other of the, of the platforms. It's Manny Hoffman, M-E-N-Y-H-O-F-F-M-E-N. If they want to join my mailing list, it's ltbsummit.com. You could join the mailing list for education. And our parent company, as we as we spoke, is p Group. So follow p Group for inspiration and marketing tips on a regular basis as well. I will leave you with this one line is, you know, Business is not meant to be easy. Uh, Business is hard work and you just have to be able to Work it through and be able to create yourself, your own inspiration and your own big wins, so to speak, and small wins to be able to pat yourself on the back. Every day that goes by, you're able to survive. And today's day and age when there's so much competition, you should pat yourself on the back and that should be your, your, your motivation for the next day going forward.
0: Manny, this was hugely inspirational and practical. Thanks so much for letting me pick your brain. And thank you to all my fellow listeners for tuning in. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain.